We're spending this portion of WGTD's morning show talking about one of the most brilliant and also controversial innovators in recent history. Elon Musk is responsible for some of the most striking and uh, remarkable innovations in several different industries. He has uh, helped us explore space in ways we never did before. He has helped us develop uh, electrical cars, and he has helped us uh, rethink how we can use the Internet. And uh, it is difficult to think about a single person who has had quite so much effect on, on so many different facets of modern life. And yet by no means is he done. And in fact, in some ways, uh, the, the most remarkable innovations of Elon Musk have not yet penetrated into the lives of, of ordinary citizens the way uh, other sorts of innovations have. But in some respects, uh, that day may be just around the corner. At any rate, uh, he is uh, a remarkable man with uh, a really unprecedented career. And uh, that career is explored in a really interesting new New York Times bestseller just out in paperback called Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the Quest for a Fantastic Future. The book is written by Ashley Vance, who is a uh, well-known author, and perhaps you know him as the host of Hello World, uh, a, uh, a technology travel uh, television show. He writes extensively for Bloomberg Businessweek, and as a matter of fact, it was an assignment for them that uh, first allowed him to cross paths with Mr. Musk, and uh, that ended up being the germ for this very, very interesting book published by Echo and Imprint of HarperCollins, again called Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the Quest for a Fantastic Future. Ashley Vance, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, tell our listeners about that article that you wrote for Bloomberg Business Week and uh, the opportunity that it afforded you to pay your first visit to what you refer to as Muskland. Sure, yeah. Well, it dates back to, to 2012. You know, I live in Silicon Valley and and was not really an Elon Musk believer. I cover a lot of technology companies here, but um, he had seemed like this guy who was always promising things but but struggling to deliver on them. And then in 2012, some remarkable things happened. Tesla Motors, his electric car company, came out with this Model S sedan that became a huge hit. SpaceX, his space company, got to the International Space Station. And SolarCity, his solar company, filed for a public offering. And, and so I kind of dug in and decided to do a big story on him. And I just I found this guy was much more interesting and authentic and and just had this fascinating life story that I hadn't expected, and that's really what set me off down this path. You don't go into a really lengthy detail about this, but you do say something to the effect that uh, as you set about writing this book, you hoped for and did not at least immediately receive the kind of uh, uh, full cooperation from Mr. Musk uh, that, that you had, had, had perhaps hoped, and yet uh, he has not been an impediment in this project and indeed has become, it would seem, progressively more more helpful, more open to you. Give, give us uh, a, a sense of kind of the relationship that has developed between you, and in particular, what appears to be his deepening sense of trust in you with this project. 
Yeah, well, it was, it was a bit of a battle when I, I first did that cover story for Business Week about him. We had a, a fairly good rapport after that, and, and I floated the idea of doing a book. And, you know, initially he, he, he said no, he wasn't going to cooperate with me, but he wasn't really going to get in my way. And so I spent about 18 months interviewing 200 people all who had worked at, at SpaceX and Tesla, and he also co-founded PayPal, so he's got this long history and I sort of wore him down <laughs> over time. Um, uh, you know, those 18 months passed, and and he gave me a call and said he wanted to talk about maybe doing the book. But then he came with some pretty onerous terms. He wanted he's a he's a very controlling figure. He 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 worries about his image, and he wanted to be able to read the book before it came out and maybe put footnotes in it. And just as a journalist, I couldn't agree to do that. And so we had this big blowout meeting and. And ultimately, he agreed to do the book and just just give me some interviews over the course of about eight months. And I interviewed another hundred people. And then, yeah, he really opened up. We would have these long dinners, usually three, four hours, once a month. And and it was really the first time that I think anyone got to know the real man and, and to explore a lot of the ideas in depth that he's talked about. And then since then, things have been a little more tense. <laughs> there were some things in the book that he, he didn't care for. And so we've had a bit of a battle in the, the months that have passed. Hmm. So, well, uh, that that's uh, when we when we read about the kind of person he is and the way in which he has led his various companies. I suppose uh, that that tumultuousness uh, should should not come as as much of a surprise. He has, uh, of course, uh, a very intriguing childhood. Uh, uh, he 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 was born and raised in in South Africa, and. Uh, it was a childhood that included included a divorce and ultimately his decision to go live with his father and and you also describe how in in, in some respects he was a, a bit of an outsider in his own land um, how does he that is mr musk view his own childhood and and how accurately do you think he views it in terms of of the ways in which it shaped who he is and what he has accomplished well, it's one of the more emotional topics for him. As you mentioned, his parents divorced. He went to live with his father. He had a very difficult relationship with his dad and his and his mother. Uh, they were his dad was quite hard on him. As a kid, it's really funny. I went back and I interviewed tons of of schoolmates that he had over the years, and and they all said he was kind of the least likely person that they would have expected to do all this stuff. He was a uh, he was a loner. He was a little bit weird. It was a, it's a very masculine, sports-heavy culture, and he was the kid who liked to sit in the corner and, and read books. He read one to two books every day and devoured science fiction in particular. And so he was either being left alone or he was being bullied, and, and he had a couple incidents that were quite bad. He got kicked down a flight of stairs one time and, and had to go to the hospital for about a week after that incident. And, um, you know, I think he reflects on his childhood, from what I can tell, pretty accurately. The, the These incidents had a huge impact on him, and I think, you know, just playing sort of armchair psychologist for a little bit, he's part of this quest that he has been on that I talk about in the book has been to, to prove to everybody that 
that they were wrong, that he was this very special mm-hmm. kid and that he had big things to accomplish. And and so it's been a huge chip on his shoulder throughout his whole life. Right. I, w- some words that leapt off the page when you described what a compulsive reader he was and how he especially would read himself to sleep with two different sets of encyclopedias. That happens to be <laughs> something I did in my own childhood. Uh, uh, but, of course, that, that in and of itself doesn't mean you're destined for the kind of greatness that he has, uh, has achieved. He ultimately uh, 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 moves to, to Canada in kind of an impulsive move and ultimately crosses the border to the United States uh, to go to college, which had been a long-held dream. One of the things that you say about him that's, I think, quite intriguing is the way in which he really goes out of his way to insist that many of his most important ideas uh, involving space travel or solar power and some of the other innovations he has developed, he insists that he already had these ideas while he was a young college student. And you have kind of an interesting analysis of why he insists on that particular narrative. Uh, tell our listeners what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you, you picked up on. You know, I, I, I always found it fascinating that he, he, he would talk at such length about how he had architected this vision for his life from <clears throat> such, a, <clears throat> excuse me, such a young age. And I think he, just, he doesn't want to be seen as the typical Silicon Valley guy, definitely not a venture capitalist who's just looking for the next opportunity to dump money into and, and make a ton of cash. He, he's tried to portray this picture of him that he's, he's not some money-hungry individual, that he's actually been thinking about these bigger things for mankind all along. People should know that his, his major quest in life is to set up a colony on Mars because he fears that the human species may be wiped out by some strange event here on Earth, and so he wants to create a backup plan for people. When you look at Tesla and, and Solar City, they're obvious attempts to try and curb global warming and and so he he comes wrapped with these grand missions that he he's been chasing after and so yeah he you know he did not want to be seen as just your regular silicon valley story of some guy trying to get rich quick that he's actually got this this very purposeful life and and then you know part of it i think is him it is true all of this is true and i do not think that he's He's driven by money in the same way that a lot of the people here are, but but you also see him consciously shaping his image from a pretty early day. Right. And, of course, by suggesting that he had many of these early ideas when hardly anybody else was thinking about these ideas, uh, gives those ideas, in a sense, even a, a, another layer of, of grandeur by, by making them ideas far before their time, in a sense. He's, yeah. he's he's not just the, the the typical guy who comes along and builds on someone else's great idea and makes it even better. He really wants us to think of many of these ideas as ideas that were that that that, that he uh, came up with a long, 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 long time ago. Absolutely, and there's some pretty funny stuff to back this up. You know, he's he's in Canada where he first started out at university and he always struggled to get dates <laughs> because he was a bit of a, a loner nerd, to be frank. And, and there's one um, where his mom sets him up on a date with this very pretty girl and she, she comes over for his birthday party. I think it was his 18th birthday party and, and they sit down on the couch and he, he basically immediately says hello. 
she says hello back, and then he says, have you ever thought about electric cars? <laughs> and and I, I interviewed her about this, and she just thought it was the most peculiar thing that had ever come out of some student's mouth before. And, and, and so, you know, this, this is still how he kind of is today. Mm-hmm. So w- when you describe the, the first of his many startups, which is something with his own brother, uh, a, a company called Zip2, uh, you describe some of the troubles that he has in terms of leading other people. And, of course, this is one thing that uh, is, has, has been a hallmark of his, of his career is the fact that uh, he is not an easy person to work with, and uh, he tends to have rather volatile relationships with, uh, with everybody with whom he works. Uh, and, and he, in explaining this, mentions the fact that you know, he, uh, until this time, he had never been so much as the the co-captain of a of a sports team or in school or or anything he'd he'd never had to lead anybody before so he has had to try to learn from his own mistakes and and to some extent he has and to some extent it sounds like he has not that he continues to uh struggle with this particular facet of his professional life yeah, well, in his early days, so there's Zip2, and then his next company is PayPal, and you see this guy who's trying to emerge from that, that youth of always being off on his own and not really having many social skills. And so he comes into these companies, and, and he's just brutally honest with people in meetings. Some engineer would present something, and he'd just say, you're wrong, but not only that, he would dig into the guy and be like, why are you so stupid? Why would you present this in front of us and, and leave the guy in tears in front of all of his peers? And, and, <laughs> you, you, you and know, by the way, you, I remember you mentioning that one of the things that would really set him off is if someone, if, if, if he would ask somebody in such a meeting, well, well why, why are we doing that? He said, well, that's what we've always done, and those words would just be like the worst possible answer one could give to such a question. I mean, that's Absolutely. the worst reason to do something <laughs> is that's the reason we've, way we've always done it and that someone might get fired for, for saying those words. Yeah, quite often. And, and, you know, in these first couple of companies, things go okay for a while, and then, and then ultimately he, he gets either pushed to the side as CEO or, or thrown out of the, the, the company, and, and, and so it ends really badly for him. Over time, he's gotten a lot better. I mean, certainly you see him up on stage now addressing thousands of people, and, and he's much more confident than he used to be, and he's evolved, but but Tesla and SpaceX are, are notorious today in Silicon Valley for being these incredibly hard-charging places where he still will lay into employees when needed. But you know, to his credit, one of the best things about him and the reason that he's a success is that he's able to marshal these thousands of engineers to get behind him and to chase after these, these projects. And so he's clearly developed a way to... to to tame some of these <laughs> more fearful sides of him enough to to push people on. Right. Of course, what really makes him extraordinary is the way in which he has sought to reshape entire industries uh, in, in, in a way that, that not many human beings have managed to accomplish. For instance, when it comes to, in a sense, reshaping uh, the the... The, the space industry, uh, a business which he felt, in your words, had not really evolved in about 50 years. Uh, one of the ways in which you help us understand his ideas is by talking about Ferraris and Honda Accords, of all things. <laughs> Explain how this, in a sense, symbolizes 
his radical new ideas about how the space industry should function. Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't follow this stuff closely, but basically what had happened is you had the, the space industry starts to get developed during the 60s and, and really doesn't change much at all. The rockets are all made by nations, the United States, Russia, China, and, and they're all designed to minimize failure. And so they're building the Ferraris of rockets, things that cost hundreds of millions of dollars. They're guaranteed not to blow up, and he came in with a sort of different idea, which was, I want to become the Southwest of space. That was SpaceX's motto in its early days when it started around 2002. He wanted to create much cheaper rockets that could go to space much more often. He had a theory that there was a lot of waste in the industry, that things like electronics and software had improved dramatically over the decades, and, and that this industry needed a reboot. A lot of people had had sort of similar ideas. Billionaires had, had tried to get into space and failed pretty spectacularly. And Elon is the first guy who, who's managed to, to pull off private space. And really, for people who don't follow this, the, the United States had, had lost all competitiveness in, in this field as far as, as being able to launch rockets for other countries to put satellites into space. And, and it had gotten way too expensive. And, and today, SpaceX is the low-cost way to get something into space, and, and he's brought thousands of jobs back to the United States. It's, for me, the the most inspirational story around him, and, and, you know, if you're into this sort of thing, it's a very patriotic story. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, what he has accomplished with Tesla is quite extraordinary as well, despite some really, really difficult uh, early days with uh, what uh, you <laughs> describe at one point as a spending horror show uh, <laughs> from which he eventually uh, emerges. Uh, as I indicated in the introduction, uh, we are talking about a, a great innovator who nevertheless has not penetrated the, the everyday lives of, of normal Americans the way some other people have. At one point you write, Musk has yet to have a consumer hit on the order of the iPhone or to or to uh, or to talk to a billion people on Facebook, uh, for the most part, he is still making rich people's toys. How far are we from Elon Musk turning the corner and and going beyond that? We're getting a little closer now. Something like SpaceX is probably never going to enter the consumer consciousness, although we see it on television a lot more now when they have a successful launch and, and, and it has started this whole new space movement to get some attention. For Tesla, they have been producing these cars that tend to cost about $100,000 each. And here where I live in Silicon Valley, they're all over the place, but, but certainly not a mainstream vehicle. It's this year when finally, after about 15 years, that the Tesla may have its, its moment. The company hopes to come out with a $35,000 car called the Model 3. And it is, it's this vehicle that will either make or break the company and probably a lot of Elon's legacy if, if he can produce this car on time and keep the company alive, it's still always in a huge cash crunch, then then this really is his, his iPhone moment because mm. Tesla has this huge shining brand and, and this car would be the most advanced car on the road. And, and yeah, I mean, this, this is kind of what we've all been waiting for. Right. <laughs> Last quick question. You say at one point that uh, Elon Musk is more of a Thomas Edison than a Howard Hughes. Uh, explain why we should think of him in those terms. 
Yeah, he's certainly done a bunch of industries like Howard Hughes has. But to me, it goes back to the point we talked about before. You know, the most remarkable thing about him is that he has taken thousands and thousands of the world's smartest people in much the same way Edison had these invention factories and, and pulled the most out of them and invented a string of incredible technologies that are behind these companies. And and so, you know, the, the, this is the best thing about him is that, that he's able to give people a sense of mission, to give them the tools they need to go off and invent these things. And and so this is why I put him in that category. Mm. The book, again, is Ashley uh, by Ashley Vance's Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the Quest for a Fantastic Future, published by Echo and Imprint of HarperCollins, now available in paper. Back. Ashley Vance, congratulations on a really interesting book, and thank you for joining me today on The Morning Show to talk about it. Thanks so much, and thanks for the time. Appreciate it.